Well, good morning, everyone. Happy Sabbath. Before we get started, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, I just thank you so much for bringing us out this Sabbath day to worship you. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would be here in a very powerful way. May the cross truly be lifted up. May Jesus be seen in all of his glory. And may anything that we have in our lives, any idols, anything from the world that we are still hanging on to, may we see it for what it is when it's put next to the cross. So just speak through me now. Give me the words to speak. And may each one of us here hear exactly what you would have the spirit for us to hear today. This is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. So the title for our message today is The Cross and the Super Bowl. Just this past Sunday, six days ago, America yet again went through another Super Bowl Sunday. And it got me to thinking about what our priorities are as Seventh-day Adventists. Because I'll have to tell you, First of all, for full disclosure, I'm a recovering sportsaholic. I grew up a big fan of any sport and every sport, and I knew more about sports and the statistics and the whatever about the players on the team more than I knew about the Word of God, and I'm not proud of that. And yet, my experience is the experience of so many Seventh-day Adventists. I've been through our schools from grade one all the way through the end of residency and fellowship training at Loma Linda. And I'll have to say that many of my friends were fairly, should I say it, lukewarm about their Adventist experience. But I'll tell you what, they were on fire for something. And they were on fire for their favorite team. And they would do whatever it took if there was some sacrifice that they could make so that their team could be Super Bowl champions, you bet they would do it. But if it meant doing a sacrifice to get a soul into the kingdom, well, I'm not so sure. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 14, we read, But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. Here the Apostle Paul speaking to the Galatians. He is saying, God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only thing that I glory in. That's the only thing that brings glory and honor and power. It's the name of Jesus Christ. It's not the Seattle Seahawks. It's not the Crimson Tide. Or the War Eagles. I might be heading close to home. Or the Tennessee Vols. 
That's not the glory that, that Paul is talking about. God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. There is something about the cross that when we see the glory of Jesus on the cross, the world becomes crucified to us. Now, there's something wrong with your Christian experience if you think that you can be a follower of Jesus and take part in the pleasures of this world. Because Scripture says, God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. That means the world has nothing to do with me and I have nothing to do with the world when I see the cross. Now, many times, perhaps in present truth circles, we can do a pretty good job of showing what is wrong, and we can show the Bible verses, and we can show the spirit of prophecy quotes, but the bottom line where it all starts, if we're going to gain the victory over the things of this world, which all of us are naturally attracted to, I mean, look, if you're a Crimson Tide fan or an Auburn fan or a Seattle Seahawks fan for that matter, or if you live in that area and that's your tendency, look, you're going to be rooting for your team and you're going to be happy. And that's a natural worldly tendency. It's not a natural tendency for human beings to say, oh, that's, uh, well, at least maybe for guys, at least. I don't know, women so much aren't as into sports as men. I'll, t I'll tell you what, though, that's changing. There's a lot of women that have gotten into the sports scene as well. And I'll tell you, um, growing up in the church, sports is sort of that taboo topic that nobody talks about in church anymore. We just don't, because so many people have gotten into it. Yet the scripture says, God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. Now, why is Paul saying this to the Galatians? Well, if you start off and you go back to the beginning of the book of Galatians, Paul is writing a letter, an epistle of rebuke to this church because Paul came to this church and he preached the gospel in all of its clarity and then after he leaves, other teachers come along and bring in a false gospel that brings confusion to the church in Galatia. And they start teaching the Galatians, hey, the cross isn't enough. You need to do the Jewish rites of circumcision and those things again. Again, that will bring you salvation. So that's the immediate context of what Paul is talking about. But he's also, if you study this carefully, this issue that came into the church of, of Galatia was an issue where a gospel came in that opened the door for the Galatians to go back to the world and have the cross and the world together. And Paul is saying, that is not the gospel. In fact, in verse 6 of Galatians 1, he says, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. 
Paul is saying, you have heard the true gospel of Jesus Christ from us who came and preached that message to you. And if you hear any other gospel than that which was preached unto you, let him be accursed. And then when you get to the end of the, the book, but God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. So the cross of Christ, which causes us to be crucified to the world and the world to be crucified to us, so that there is no mingling of the two between the people of God and the world, that's the true gospel. Galatians 2.20, which is part of this true gospel, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. When I am crucified with Christ, Christ lives out his life through me, and I live by the faith of Jesus. This is the third angel's message. So the true gospel of Jesus Christ is the third angel's message. And if any man is preaching any other gospel than the gospel of the third angel's message, as the scripture says, let him be accursed. That is the word of scripture. It's the everlasting gospel that has not changed. And yet in the church today, there are gospels that have come in, other gospels, gospels that say you can be saved in your sin and take pleasure in the things of this world and just wait till Jesus comes. Go out and have a pizza party for the Super Bowl. Put on your mascots, dress up with your idol images and worship your teams and cheer them on. That's the false gospel that, that have been coming into our churches. Because look, if we're saved in our sins, then take pleasure in whatever you want to do and that's what people are doing. And God is saying he wants something better from Seventh-day Adventists. He is looking for a group of people through whom we will experience the gospel so that we will be crucified with Christ. When we see Jesus on the cross, we will see what it's all about for following Jesus. You see, when Jesus died on the cross for us, he was willing to give up everything in heaven. And he's simply asking us, to give up the sorry, sinful things of this world, to be followers of him. And the amazing thing is that the devil has tried to convince us that if we give up the sorry things of this world, we're giving up so much. You know, if anyone gave up anything, it was Jesus, not us. We're giving up bad things so that we can get good things. Jesus was willing to give up his eternal existence as God Almighty. Yes. And we as sinful human beings somehow think that we're giving up something if we have to surrender our sinful tendencies to him. But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Listen, Seventh-day Adventists should be a demonstration of Jesus Christ to the world. 
we shouldn't be a demonstration of our favorite sports teams. And I'm on Facebook on, after the game's over and people are like, they went down, we took them out. How does it feel? Is that the spirit of Jesus or is that the spirit of someone else? Galatians 3, verse 1, Paul says, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that ye should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth crucified among you? O foolish Seventh-day Adventists, who hath bewitched you Listen, if you're bewitched, that means you are under demonic influence. You're under a false gospel. Who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you? When Jesus Christ has been set forth, crucified among us, and we see him hanging on the cross, the scripture says, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? What are we watching? Are we, are we meditating upon Jesus? As Ellen White says, it, it would be well for us to spend a thoughtful hour each day meditating upon the, the life of Christ. Oh, that's way too much time. I don't have enough time to spend an hour in the desire of ages and the gospels thinking about Jesus for an hour. I ha I'm too busy, man. I've got to keep up with my favorite hockey team or baseball team or basketball team or the latest sitcoms or whatever. I can do three hours of that a night, but I can't do an hour with Jesus. Who hath bewitched you that ye should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you? So we have all this time for all these idols and all these things that are in the world. We can watch American idolatry and the Super Bowl halftime show that's clearly demonic and all of these things, and yet we can't spend a thoughtful hour each day. And yet we say that we're marching to Zion? Come on now. The telecast of the recent event, the Super Bowl 48, attracted a record 111.5 million viewers, making it the most watched television event of all time. That record will most likely be eclipsed by the next Super Bowl, and the trajectory shows no signs of dissipating. America takes its sports seriously, and Americans take football with the most seriousness of them all. In a real sense, Big-time sports represent America's new civic religion, and football is its central sacrament. Now, that was written by the president of the American Baptist Association. Even um, leaders in other religious denominations are starting to notice the effect that sports is having on our society, that this is the most watched event of all time in America. And it keeps becoming more so every year. And you know, I've been thinking about it. In ancient Israel, in the days of old, we read in scripture that the Israelites 
became partakers of the idols of the nations around them. And somehow we don't think that we as Seventh-day Adventists haven't fallen into the same trap. Now let's continue. First John chapter 2, verse 15, and this is, of course, a very familiar passage. First John chapter 2, verse 15, and here scripture says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. So here is a command of scripture where God is saying, love not the world. Now, if you see Jesus on the cross, the world is going to be crucified unto you. So if you're having a hard time saying, man, well, but I'm loving the world. That stuff's fun. It's probably because you're not spending enough time at the foot of the cross. God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And when we do that, we will love not the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And we have to take stock in our own lives. What elements of the world do we still love? Well, what, what is it about the world? There's three things. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. When you look at the lust of the flesh, I mean, all of the advertisements, the billboards that are all around us are appealing to the lust of the flesh, to the lower passions. And you know, in this day and age, so many diseases that I see in my practice as a physician come from so many people who cannot control their appetite. And you know, the health message, the medical missionary work is the right arm of the gospel. We as Seventh-day Adventists, we're supposed to be the head and not the tail. Now, if you're brand new to the faith and you have some health issues, you know, by God's grace, you're coming into the faith and you, God, by God's grace, people will show you new light and new truths to help you understand how to get your blood pressure under control, your blood sugar under control, your weight under control, all of these various things. The lust of the flesh. So many times Seventh-day Adventists have an understanding of truth that we don't have an understanding of, or we don't have a demonstration of a control over our appetite. And that's why when we see these shocking stories of famous ministers who have fallen from grace, lust of the flesh starts with an uncontrolled appetite. And the lust of the eyes, you know, there's so many different things that we could mention with the lust of the eyes, but certainly the Hollywood movie industry would be at the top of the list. And you know, we're supposedly a Christian nation. We're a Christian nation, and Hollywood is making billions upon billions of dollars off of Americans who are professed Christians, including Seventh-day Adventists. 
Look, come on now, you're, if you're on your way to heaven and you're going to the movie theater or you're watching R-rated movies on your TV at home and people are shooting each other and killing each other and committing acts of adultery and all of these kinds of nonsense, that is not preparing you to be in the kingdom. I can tell you that right now. And so if the servant of the Lord wrote against going to the theater back in the day when they probably just did a little bit of nothing serious compared to our day and age, and yet that was condemned in that day, what would the servant of the Lord say today? And yet we say she's out of her time and what wasn't, isn't relevant for our day? Come on now. And the pride of life. Now there's so many different things that the pride of life can apply to you. Look, it can even be in the ministry with ministers competing to get the best position. And I've been in, I, I've been in the third world. I was there for two years. And um, even there, um, there's competition to get to the top post in the conference because then you might get to the union. And if you get to the division, that'd get you to North America or something, you know, just stuff like that. And you know what happens. And so there's all these various things that go on. But the pride of life you especially see in the modern world today through the sports industry. It's about one team winning, one team being the greatest, player saying, now I'm the greatest of all time, I am the best, I'm this, I am whatever. And it's just as Lucifer who was trying to be the greatest. And when you're trying to beat someone else down to get to the top, look, we need to take stock of what we're taking pleasure in. Your team wins. Great, but they beat someone down to get to the top. Is that the spirit of heaven? Let me, I have news for you. The NFL is not going to be in heaven. There's not going to be a Super Bowl Sunday, the, day, the first Sunday after the first Sabbath, where after we have our first worship experience with Jesus and God the Father and the Holy Spirit and all the angels, then we put on the pads and we have a, um, a big, huge football tournament where the 144,000 line up against the antediluvians. That's not going to be happening. And then we'll see who can win, those who withstood through the final crisis or those who were built with the, the best physical constitution. Who can win the game now? Come on. That's not what's going to, going to be happening in heaven. And then at the end of the game, now we're the greatest. Yes, we... No. And you know, these three issues, the lust of the flesh... The, flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. This was the sin of Sodom, Ezekiel 16, 49. Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom. Pride, fullness of bread, and abundance of idleness was in her and in her daughters. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. So here, yes, in Sodom, yes, there's the homosexual issue, and that's where we get the term sodomy from, and all of that nonsense. And when we see that very issue coming into our culture today, we can know that we're at the very end of time. But the way, the, the reason that that issue is coming back to the forefront is because the same sins of Sodom are the same sins of America. Pride, fullness of bread, and abundance of idleness. Man, you can eat up till you're, you know what, here in America there's so many good restaurants and you can just load up on the grease and stuff yourself. And you know what, you can be vegan and still be eating a terribly unhealthy diet. 
just show up and have your load of french fries and veggie burgers and load it up with a little bit of ketchup or a lot of ketchup and pour it off with some extra oil on top of everything else and you just had a good vegan meal that was completely unhealthy. But at least I'm vegan. I didn't put cheese on the burger. Pride fullness of bread and abundance of idleness. This is the culture of America today. It's all about pride. It's all about being the greatest. It's about stuffing our faces and abundance of idleness. There's so much idleness in America. We have to fill our free time with entertainment, with the movies and the sports and all of these things. And listen, when God's people, God's Seventh-day Adventist people, should be preparing our young people to be laborers, to be soldiers in the cause. We're teaching them that, look, you can just float down the river till the kingdom comes, and when Jesus comes, you'll be ready. You've had a fun time here, and you'll have a fun time in heaven. But listen, we're coming up against a great controversy struggle, the time of trouble such as never was, and we need to be training our young people to be laborers and soldiers in the cause. Now is not the time to be having an abundance of idleness. And if we want our young people to be prepared for the times that are coming, we need to train them now. You know, I've had friends that have recently wandered off from the faith, and some of them even wrote articles in liberal Adventist magazines talking about, well, I used to be, oh, so concerned about all these various standards, and now I don't even know what I believe. And the problem is, if, is that if we're looking for people to just pat us on the back and say, wow, you're awesome, wow, you're amazing, you're so great, and we're not teaching our young people that, hey, we're up against a battle here. And as soldiers of the cross, being crucified means, you know what, Jesus didn't exactly have a fun time when he got crucified. And if we're going to be followers of Jesus, there is a cross to bear. Now, there is abundance of joy in following Jesus, but there is a cross to bear, and it's not all fun and games. And one of my pastor friends recently said, you see, the God of this world is not really God, but sports. And this is from the Washington Post. The massive rise of sports within the culture is a sign and symptom of the secularization of the larger society. New evidence for this pattern comes from academics Chris Beneke and Arthur Remillard in an essay recently published in the Washington Post. Writing with Super Bowl 48 in view, Beneke and Remillard note, American sports fans have forged imperishable bonds with the people, places, and moments that define their teams. You might even call this attachment religious, but that would be unfair to sports. In other words, the attachment many Americans now have to sports teams far exceeds attachment to religious faith, any religious faith. Now, seriously, you have to ask yourself, and I can tell you from personal experience, if you have a team that you're rooting for and they're having a good year and they get to that final game and they have a chance to win it all, and I've been there, I've done this, so I, I'm speaking from personal experience, and I'm not proud of this, but I've been there. If your team is in that game, 
I know for me, and I'm sure it's true for mo many of you if you've been there, and I know it was true of my friends who were around me, that we were far more concerned and wrapped up in the outcome of that game than we were about the cause of God. And unfortunately, that has become true for many Seventh-day Adventists, that yes, we go to church on Sabbath. Sabbath is for church, and Sunday is for the NFL. And we'll spend two to three hours at church, and we'll spend nine hours on the TV watching the games. Watch the, the game from 12 to 3, watch the next game from 3 to 6, take an hour and a half break, and then you've got Sunday night football, and then you've got Monday night football. You could watch 12 hours in one week. And how much time did you spend for God? Well, I did two or three hours at church, and I, I do five minutes in the morning and five in the evening. Look, the way we spend our free time, our leisure time, what we're investing in that time shows where we are headed. Are we strangers and pilgrims to this earth where when 111 million Americans are watching the game, we are doing something else? And I'll tell you, by the grace of God, this year I did not watch the game. By his grace only. By his grace, I did not watch the game. I spent that time with my wife who, by the grace of God, has never liked sports. In fact, when I first met Joelle, she didn't even know what a quarterback did. <laughs> so that's definitely a blessing. I don't even, you know, if we were to watch a game, I'm not even sure she would really understand, like, so what's fourth and two mean, you know? And I wish that I was like that. You know, we as God's people should really not be attached to such things. You know, in the Adventist Review, which actually the published date was February 7, just yesterday, but it came out a week or two ago, an Adventist pastor from Maryland named Tim Ponder wrote an article entitled, How Much Do the Games Cost? And he says, compartmentalization, a gift of sorts, can threaten unified focus. Sabbath belongs to the Lord, Sunday to the NFL. Or stranger still, an Adventist acquaintance in, in Oklahoma told me about how she played in the bowling leagues three nights a week. When I invited her to come to Sabbath services in the midweek prayer meeting, her response was, oh, my life is much too busy for that. You know, we're too busy for the things that don't matter to us. And if God is what matters to you, if being ready for Jesus to come is what matters to you, if devoting your life to the cause of God and to the three angels' message is what matters to you, then you're going to be too busy for the football games and the movies and this and that and whatever else that really doesn't have eternal value, and you're going to be investing your time in the things that matter for eternity. Now, just in case you don't realize how idolatrous the Super Bowl is, Madonna, who did the halftime show two years ago, said this just before her performance. The Super Bowl is kind of like the Holy of Holies in America. I'll come at halfway of the church experience, and I'm going to have to, deli to deliver a sermon. It'll have to be very impactful. Brothers and sisters, that's false worship. 
If, we're if she sang that the Super Bowl is the Holy of Holies in America, we have a great high priest who's in the Holy of Holies in heaven, and that's where our mind should be att attracted to. Do you think that the apostles and the disciples, if they were here today, they would be all into the game? Ellen White says in Sons, of Daughter, Sons and Daughters of God, page 57, anything that diverts the mind from God assumes the form of an idol, and that is why there is so little power in the church today. Then she goes on in Education, page 210, and she says, some of the most popular amusements, such as football and boxing, have become schools of brutality. They are developing the same characteristics as did the games of ancient Rome. Now, let me ask you this. Can you imagine Paul the Apostle, Peter the Apostle, the other apostles, checking out a Roman game at the Colosseum? Man, let's go down to the Colosseum and see what the lions are going to do today as they tear up those people that are just, you know, whoever. Oh, wow, that was exciting. Did you see how the lion took that one out? But we're watching lions and tigers and bears today. But this time they're in Detroit and Chicago and Los Angeles and New York and whatever. And when a player gets knocked out with a torn ACL or a bad concussion or a paralyzed knuckle, oh man, that was too bad. Hopefully it doesn't happen again next time. But man, that was a good game. It was close. The love of domination, the pride and mere brute force, the reckless disregard of life are exerting upon the youth a power to demoralize that is appalling. Other athletic games, though not so brutalizing, are scarcely less objectionable because of the excess to which they are carried. They stimulate the love of pleasure and excitement, thus fostering a distaste for useful labor, a disposition to shun practical duties and responsibilities. They tend to destroy a relish for life's sober realities and its tranquil enjoyments, thus the doors open to dis dissipation and lawlessness with their terrible results, so that, look, you're watching the game and your team is about to win and then the ref makes a terrible call and you're so mad that you want something bad to be done to that referee. But when children are going hungry and things of that nature, you don't really care. And when the games come to our schools and the ref makes a bad call, people get so mad that the police have to get called in. That's not how God is going to prepare a people. Now, this is Counsels to Parents, Teachers, and Students, page 350. In the night season, I was a witness to the performance that was carried on on the school grounds. The students who engaged in the grotesque mimicry that was seen acted out the mind of the enemy. Some in a very unbecoming matter. A view of things was presented before me in which the students were playing games of tennis and cricket. Now, that doesn't sound so bad, tennis and cricket, compared to, like, football, but... That's what she's saying, tennis and cricket. Then I was given instruction regarding the character of these amusements. They were presented to me as a species of idolatry, like the idols of the nations. Look, this is idolatry, friends. 
when you're rooting for your team and you're investing, investing all of your time and in your energy to the glorification of their victory and the other side is going down and you're going up, that is the, idol, the idolatry of the nations around us, just as the children of Israel participated in the idolatry of the nations around them at that time. And back then, the, the parents would sacrifice their children to idols, but you know what? We're sacrificing our children to idols today. We want them to be like our friends and whoever around us, and so we've got to put them in the same types of situations so that they get into the same idolatry as the people around us so that we won't look too fanatical or extreme or whatever. Listen. As Pastor um, Tim Ponder said, we're all afraid of narrow-minded fanaticism as if a little indulgence is better than total abstinence from poison. Look, if it's poison, let's just say it for what it is. It's a species of idolatry. Oh, I don't want to be too imbalanced. Let's be balanced Laodiceans. Not too hot, not too cold. Let's just fit right in. And that's why we are so lukewarm. Near the end of his life, Joshua challenged the people he led to make a firm decision on where they would focus. And this is, again, Pastor Tim Ponder in the Adventist Review. And he paraphrases Joshua 24, 15. Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of sport so dangerous to physical health or the bowling legs that keep you from midweek prayer meeting. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. God is looking for Seventh-day Adventists who will have the experience of Galatians 6.14. But God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me. The world of the Super Bowl and the NFL and Major League Baseball and Crimson Tide and Auburn and NHL and you name it and Hollywood and all of the idolatrous abominations that come out of that industry. But God God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world, so that my life is a living demonstration of what it means to be crucified with Christ, so that the life of Jesus Christ lives out through me so that I am a demonstration of the pure gospel that Paul talks about in the book of Galatians. Not another gospel. Not another gospel that says you can serve Jesus and leave him on the outside. You can have a form of godliness but not have the power. No, the true gospel, the everlasting gospel of Christ and him crucified where his followers take up the cross and follow him where the world sees in us not simply a modified version of the world, but a real demonstration of the power of Christ and Him crucified. A real demonstration of Jesus and the work that He is doing in the Most Holy Place to purify a church on this earth. And if we really love Jesus, and we really want to follow him, we will want him to not only be the Savior of our life, but the Lord of our life. And we will follow him wherever he takes us. Which is why, 
In Revelation 14, verse 4, it says that the 144,000 follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. And I can guarantee you that if Jesus were here in the flesh on this earth, he would not be leading his followers to Super Bowl parties. He would not be leading his followers to the movie theaters. He would not be leading his followers to the amusements of this world. He would be leading his followers back to the cross and to the most holy place of the heavenly sanctuary so that we could have a true understanding of who he is. And with that knowledge and with that power, we will go out to the lost and the dying of this world, those who are poor and hungry, naked, and all of those things, and we will give them the truth as it is in Jesus. That's why this church in Ardmore exists. And by his grace and through his power, the Lord is raising this church up to do a mighty work in this town and in this region and in this nation because the Lord needs churches that are going to stand for the truth. May we be faithful, that is my prayer. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.